Big Podcast. It's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. David Hooper with you. Bigpodcast.com is the website. And I got a little confused. I've been working on this new book, been in the last remaining days of that, getting it ready for the release. And on the last episode, I told you a fib. On part one of this series with Joe Saul Seahive stacking Benjamins, I said that part two, which is this one, would talk about how he's leveraged his podcast to get a book deal. But there's something that I need to cover first. All podcasters jump in with a certain level of expertise, maybe a certain budget, certain equipment, certain work ethic. To give you an example of that, when I jumped in from radio first to podcasting first, and what I mean by that is the very first podcast that I did were first and foremost radio shows. Podcasting was an afterthought. I flipped that. I said, forget radio. I'm done with this syndication stuff. I can reach more people directly via the podcast. That's where we saw the numbers were going. So I started doing podcasts first. And then, you know, if it got picked up via radio, great. If it doesn't, great. When I did that, I really wanted to embrace podcasting. I believe in podcasting. You know that. I've got a book out. I've got the new book coming next week. I believe in podcasting. But I knew people would say, oh, that's easy for him. He's been in radio. He's got all this equipment. He's got all this knowledge, whatever. I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to do it in a little bit of a different way. So I went from using really good mics, RE20s, to when I built my studio. I said, you know, I'm just going to go with the ATR 2100. It's under 100 bucks. I think at the time it was even $50. I can record with those. It's good enough. Instead of having an editor edit for me, I'm going to do it myself. Instead of having a producer work with me on episodes, I'm going to do that myself. I decided to take the whole thing in-house, do it on a budget. I would not do that now. (laughs) If I had to start it all over again with my podcasting studio, I'd go ahead and bring in some (laughs) RE20s. I wanted to prove a point. I think I did prove the point. But as you get deeper into it, and keep this in mind, I'd been doing radio hosting on the weekly show for 10 years. Beyond that, though, I started radio in 91. So I'd had another 14 years on and off prior to that where I knew what I was doing. Still, bringing it in-house, recording on my own, editing on my own, planning on my own. You're working at a certain level when you come in. Then as you're in it, you say, oh, there's another level. That's where the RE20s come in. That's where the processing comes in. That's where the planning comes in. On this episode, I'm talking with Joe Saul Seahigh from Stacking Benjamins. He had a similar experience and we go deep into it. He had a podcast that was doing about 3,000 people per episode. So not bad. It's a nice shelf. But he had a moment and this is where we start the conversation where something changed for him and he decided to go big time. Today, at least 30,000 people per episode. I don't know the exact number. That's one of the numbers that he threw out. He got a six-figure book deal. That book is called Stacked. It's available everywhere. It's linked in the episode notes. We're going deep into taking podcasting to the next level. If you want to take your podcast to the next level, find out what makes a top 10 podcast. This is it. And on the next episode, what I promised you about that six-figure book deal, finding out the behind the scenes of that, we'll dive into that. If you have not subscribed already, do this, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. 
do subscribe. I've got three buttons for you. I've made it easy. One for iPhone, one for Android, one is an RSS feed. Subscribe now before you forget. That will make sure that you get that next episode that has the information about his book deal. But for now, this is how to take your podcast to the next level. Joe Saul Cihai on Build a Big Podcast. Let's talk about the moment where things started transitioning, where you went from a couple guys doing a podcast to where like, this is something real. I'm going to get a book deal. And not only am I going to get a book deal, I'm going to have somebody pay for me to go promote that book through sponsorship. Talk about the shift when things started really to take off with this podcast where you can do what you're doing right now. Yeah. The real shift actually happened at a podcast movement. The one that was in Fort Worth Roman Mars was on stage, Roman Mars of 99% Visible. That uh, discussion that he had on the main stage really changed everything for me. Before then, I was doing some blog. I was splitting my time. I was doing some blogging. I was doing some writing for other people. I was uh, doing the podcast. So I was kind of dabbling in a bunch of other stuff. And I also, like a lot of podcasters, I'd look at the charts, you know, about 35 times a day. And on the charts, I would always point to these shows ahead of me and I go, oh, we're better than them and we're better than them and we're better than them. And I don't understand why people aren't listening to us. Right. I was really kind of frustrated. We were at about, I'm going to say about 3000 listeners per episode at the time that, that that's happened. So it's a nice shelf, but you need more if you're going to be doing the book deals and yes. 40 city tour. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what happened was. I went to that podcast movement. I'm sitting in the front row while Roman Mars is on stage and Roman is walking through his team's five week production schedule about how they make their show and about how they cut the shows. And I thought that I was doing podcasting pretty damn professionally, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I saw what he was doing versus what I was doing. And I was a complete pretender and don't get me wrong. It wasn't about the fact that he's got a team of 12 people putting it on, but even me as me and Roman as Roman, he was way more professional in his own individual approach than I was in mine. And I mentioned this earlier about listening to reviews. And one of those bad reviews was that we're not as funny as we think we are, which by the way, I realized as I'm watching Roman Mars, I'm thinking, you know, I'm here to study podcasting. So I'm studying podcasting. I already know the money game, but this is supposedly a comedy variety show. And I have never, there are comedians. Uh, well, you and I both know Paul Ollinger works his butt off on comedy. Yeah. Uh, all these comedians have it as a career. I'm trying to make a podcast that's comedy and I don't study comedy at all. So immediately we begin taking comedy courses, Immediately, I quit blogging. I quit doing all this extra other writing. I changed the show to be more Tonight Show. I give Mom's Neighbor Doug a much bigger presence. We kind of, in some ways, made the show lighter, much more accessible. And we still, by the way, seven years since then, we study comedy all the time. It never ends. That's the thing I think that people get confused about. They say, well, I'm going to get to this level and then everything's going to be great, whether it's money or my podcasting talent. I podcast every day. Every single day, and I don't publish this, but I'm reading, I'm improvising, thinking on my feet, working on those skills. And that's the part that you don't see. Roman said something that day that I've told a lot of podcasters, which is that, and, and, and this is him saying it, and I will say this too now because I've adopted it, that I'm embarrassed by the shows we made 12 months 
ago. And I hope like hell, I'm embarrassed by the shows I'm making now, 12 months from yeah. now. Yeah. I want to have that mentality. Still moving that I'm forward. Always growing. Yes. I, I don't want to be the guy who's a, a 10 year dinosaur in podcasting. I want to be Joe, the innovator that gets me much more excited, but I'll tell you what happened. So we change all this stuff. And we're horrible at it because it's all brand new, but we're, we, we completely changed the Just show. Just getting your legs on you at that point. Yeah. We got a nice size audience at 3000 people. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's a, that's a great show. And I immediately lose a third of my listeners and the hate mail I got. Oh my <laughs> God. I remember Cheryl and I were on our way to vacation in Puerto Rico. And this woman wrote to me and I thought that she wanted to discuss like the changes of the show. Cause she's like, you ruined my favorite show. This is horrible. The show sucks now. I don't understand why you're doing this. I love the old theme song. The new theme song sucks. I just don't get it. So I wrote her like this 3000 word answer because I get geeked about podcasting, right? Like you do. I'm like, hey, here's what we're thinking, da, 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 da. And she wrote back one sentence. She's like, you're the most egotistical son of a bitch I've ever talked to. Because she thought it was like my <laughs> ego. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to explain. But I'll tell you what happened. We go through the valley of death for about six weeks. And there's this giant freaking hockey stick. It is amazing. We found our legs and the new thing was better. And actually, and what's cool is in, in fairness to this woman, her name's Michelle. Michelle, six months later, wrote back to me and she said, you were right. This show's way better than it was before. The show's way better. Yeah, absolutely. Change is difficult. Change is so hard for people. And it's the devil, you know, we'd rather stick something out. Absolutely. Than have a chance. Yes. That might be worse. We don't like unknowns. It's like a warm blanket. It's a warm blanket. That's the reason people love Dave Ramsey. It's that same call every time. You know what yeah. you're going to get. He's going to yell at you. He's going to tell you baby steps. Right. <laughs> and when you're in pain, which I imagine a lot of your listeners are, it's even tougher because they're coming to you. Basically, people aren't going to McDonald's because it's the best food. They're going because they know what's on the menu and where the bathrooms are. Absolutely. We now have, like Roman Mars, we have a five-week production schedule. We make sure that we are diverse in every sense of the word. I'm not talking about like a corporate diversity chart, but if our show really is about financial wellness for a ton of people, I don't know who you are. So I try to make sure that if we talk to people that are in debt early in the show, that's because we got somebody coming on talking about wealth later in the show. If we have a headline that's really just dorky and funny, that's because we're going to get heavy later in the show. If we talk to somebody who's young on one show, it's going to be somebody older. We look at ratios of men to women. I looked at Roman Mars really creating this show that he really, really, really wanted to listen to and doing things that would create that experience. And we need to give ourselves enough runway to do that. So we have two meetings a week now. Meeting number one, we have five people in the meeting. This is three weeks in down the line. In that meeting, it's like our writer's room, you know, like a comedy show will do or a, uh, a show on TV will do. So Like a brainstorm, maybe. Absolutely. Oh, and we laugh our heads off, by the way. And if you ever want to come and just join us, we've had people come and join this, this writing meeting. I'm going cause, to. Because we, <laughs> we talk about what are the dumb holidays on the calendar. Like today is Eat More Bread Day. We take out that ridiculous list of things. We look at whose birthday it is. We try to come up with a funny trivia segment, but we have a great writer now, a woman named Paulette Perhatch, who's written for the New York Times. She's incredibly gifted. It used to be me writing the episodes, but as we, you know, you invest in yourself, right? And at some point I said, we have to find other people to take some of these things. But anyway, so then Paulette leaves 
this meeting where we have kind of a shell of a show, she writes it. And then we have a second meeting and that is our table read where my mom's neighbor, Doug, our announcer guy reads the scripted parts. I go through the outline of what OG and I are going to talk about because that part's unscripted, but we definitely have some things that we do, like as an example, in our headline segment, what our audience doesn't know is I actually have a second headline that's related where I twist it on purpose just to make the discussion twist a little bit. And it gives it this texture that nobody expects. So we will take a headline and then I will twist it halfway through. So we talk about that part and we refine it so that when we record it, then as close to the time the episode airs, this is now four or five days before we're going to record the episode and probably about seven seven or eight days before it airs because we try to record as close to uh, the air date as possible. So the headline is fresh, right? By the time we sit down, we've got the full outline. Doug's already done the table read with the script. The jokes are crisp. We're ready to go. That all changed as a result of Roman Mars showing me what professional really was. I mentioned seeing him speak myself. It was a different speech. I'm pretty sure thing that was very interesting to me is there was some guy before him, let's say it's a Mark Marin, Joe Rogan, like, hey, you know, just like crazy. And Roman Marks gets up there. Maybe it was his TED talk. And it's that, hello, this is Roman Mars. It was like, he is so seated in himself. He's like, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to do this like it's a live radio show. <laughs> so good. And in a way, it's like, oh, this guy, he's, he's not playing the game. He's playing his own game. I love that. I feel like that's what you guys are doing too. It's like you, you're a leader and people are coming to you. You're not trying to do Dave Ramsey like we talked about. You're doing your own thing. Well, can I tell you too, because I feel very lucky. Last year I got to have Roman had a new book out and we invited him on the show. And by the way, it's the only time in 10 years. I never get butterflies. They're just regular people. Well, you too, David, you've talked to everybody and you just don't get butterflies. They're people, right? But I got to tell you, when I talked to Roman Mars, it's Roman Mars. I'm so excited. Yeah. And he yeah. comes on with that damn voice of his and I'm like, oh, you have me. Hello, and you've Roman. heard it, right? You've heard it a million yes. times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but, but he and I talked and he is... He is, he is very much just a nerd creating this thing that yeah. he loves. Like he's very interested in the thing. And you see these people in these online forums and I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit. And they, you know, they've made five episodes. They're like, how do I monetize? Right. I'm like, well, we'll have something to say first. And Roman, I feel like he's this fountain of, oh, I want to try this. I want to say this. I want to do this. I want to do this thing. And uh, this is why I hate, and this is the this is the uh, pedestal part of, of today of today's discussion. This is why I hate people that survey their audience and go, "What do you want me to talk about next?" Yes, yeah, it's almost like a politician. Like I'm going to stand on this issue, depending on if it can get me reelected or not. Yes. Yep. Well, you know what? You're going to hate making that episode. It's going to show yep. that you're just pandering, and to some degree, it's my job to light up my audience. You know, a chef creates their menu, the best chefs create this menu because it excites them. And if it excites them, I want to eat that food. Right. Like that's the food I want to eat. And I think if we're making cooking, you know, and I certainly want to pay attention to, if I go too far off the road, I want my audience to kind of bring me back. But that said, I want to talk to people and tie it into money in ways that you didn't expect that if I survey my audience, they're never going to give me those ideas. I think you can listen to your audience. And I think that's the balance that people have, but don't have like zero spine. I like to talk about planting your flag. It's like, oh, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. But you guys can add the color to it. You can 
help me mold it a little bit. But yes. so many people like, I don't care. I just want to be famous. It's like, dude, if, if you want to get an OnlyFans or have a sex tape <laughs> or rob a bank or kill people or, I mean, there's a lot of ways to get your headline in the newspaper, but <laughs> yes. that's what I noticed from the music industry. These young artists, in part, they're so young, they didn't know who they were yet. And you're going to just kind of say, older music executive, you just tell me what to do. I'm, I'm cool with that. But those aren't really artists. The artists that we really love, the ones that we have bought records for the last 50 years from the same artists, those are the guys who have something to say. And I think that we do that in podcasting. That's one of the reasons I'm thrilled about podcasting, because we have nothing standing in our way of doing it. But like you said, that's made it so that there's a lot of noise and that we don't see, because we're all working in silos, the work that somebody like Roman Mars or Terry Gross or Jed Boomrad or mm-hmm. these guys put into their shows. And it's a lot. It is a ton. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking the place where I love the audience participation is afterwards. And I think a chef likes that too, right? How did you like that meal? Did you like it? What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Like, I do like once we make something, I do like the feedback afterwards. Somebody wrote today, there's a contributor to our show named Len Penzo and a guy wrote, I could listen to Len laugh all day. And that is just really good feedback because there's times when Len laughs through, uh, it feels to me like half the episode. And I love the sound of Len's laugh. But is everybody liking it that this guy can't stop giggling (laughs) the entire show? But when I get that kind of feedback and I've never had negative feedback about it, then I'm like, okay, that's just another marker that we need to make sure Len just keeps laughing. Well, that is important, I think, to listen to because I think sometimes why people listen to us isn't the reason we think they're listening. And Mm. you found that out. You thought, well, maybe I need to only talk about financial stuff. Well, maybe they're listening because they like the camaraderie between us. Maybe they're listening because they want jokes or whatever. Sometimes the thing that we think they're coming for is maybe a secondary thing. It's still important, but it's not the thing. Absolutely. In fact, again, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, there was a review of our show a few years ago that might be my favorite review. And it says, Joe and OG fight like an old married couple, five stars, <laughs> which is awesome. Can I connect mean, they, with it. Yeah. yeah. They like the fact that they're sitting there at the table with us while, while OG and I are at each other's throats because he's wrong and I'm right. How do you handle that criticism and feedback? Because, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sensitive, man. I don't like being turned down when I approach about being a guest, for example, or try to help somebody get booked. I don't necessarily like bad feedback. I don't know that people do, but it can be important. I'm curious about you because you get a lot of feedback, much more than most podcasters do. And now you've got the book. So Amazon, (laughs) you got to double, buddy. So (laughs) let's talk about how, do you read your own feedback? People used to say this. They say, don't read press, especially your own. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's tough, right? Because is it accurate? I read it too much. Uh, I read it a lot because of the fact that by taking, and I think I used this phrase earlier, taking the stank off it and just going, okay. Like when those people said, you know, they're not as funny as they think they are, what they wanted us to do in that negative review, what they really wanted us to do was to stop joking around. Instead, I realized, no, we need to practice comedy. Like we need to sharpen that saw. Right, right. 
So don't take it the way they're taking it, but just say, is this usable? And I will tell you, there's a couple things that I can't do anything with, but outside of that, I love the feedback. We used a phrase on the show maybe four months ago that I did not know could have, and we didn't use it this way, but could have racial overtones. Sure. And we certainly didn't use it that way, but it was, it was a, a critique of the show that opened our eyes to that. And that was great. That was fantastic. What I learned from that. So it, that was a, that, that was great. And I read it for, I read it for that reason. And I try to take the negativity out of what they're saying. And there is a people go back and they read our reviews after listening to you and I talk, they are going to see one review over and over that I'm not doing anything about because you are not my audience. And that is I wish these guys wouldn't play around so much. Right. No, my show's not meant to teach you. My show is an on-ramp and we are going to play around. I'm not in the game of these big time money nerds. They have this equation, which is like, how many tips per minute can I give you to, to help you get rich quicker? I'm not in that game. I don't care about that game. I'm not your show. So when I get that, when I, which by the way, that's the only negative criticism we've had of our book is that our book screws around and that my podcast screws around. Well, guess what? I'm You, you just aren't my audience. There are other books that if you want something really serious, go look yeah. at the, the Bear Stearns documents. And- <laughs> if somebody's after that, I've just realized that you're not going to be everything to everybody. That's the one review that I just go, okay, you know, I'm, I, I tried to give you a lot of clues that I'm not that person. But if you still want to give me that review, that's fine. But other reviews, I always read, even though I've read like you have, that you shouldn't, because I've gotten so much out of it. The show's changed because of a lot of those reviews. I think you do have to be seated in yourself. Again, though, you can't be that 15-year-old pop star. Well, I'll go this way, then I'll go this way, and now I'm going to do a country song. Now I'm pop. and now No, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think you've got to know where you're going. You got to know what your value is and what you're driving toward. And if this helps you get there faster, like studying comedy definitely has helped us get there faster, but stop screwing around, you know, no. When did that happen for you that you felt like you could say, I'm not for you? Because here I am pushing 50 years old and I think, damn it, I shouldn't have already figured this out by now. But now it's like every year, it's like we talked about getting better and better and better at at the craft of podcasting or book writing, for example. There's always somewhere to go. And I feel like this is one of those places where there's always something to go, just feeling more confident in yourself, being able to wear socks with sandals and not caring. <laughs> you know, what, Are you German? <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things like, I, I don't know that we, we ever get it. And just when I think I've got a handle on it, then like a negative comment will come in or then something you know, throws me off my game. I'm not certainly perfect at it, but, uh, do you feel like that's something you've gotten better at and you're continuing to get better at to be? No, no, I will still get my feelings hurt quite a bit. I definitely will. But then, you know, and you realize this too, it is part of our game. It is our game. If you're going to be in the public eye yeah. and I have had jobs since, you know, high school, when I was a wedding DJ where you're in the public eye, you're going to get some heat. Yeah. Some of it you realize has nothing to do with you. It has to do with this person at a really bad flipping day or has had a bad life or has had something going wrong in their life and you just happen to be in the way. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think it just comes with the territory. And I actually think, and you know, and you've heard this line, which is that also shows you that you're making an impact because if people, people if care. Pe- 
Yeah, if they care enough that yeah. they're pissed about something you did. <laughs> right. I got this friend, Devin Carroll, who does a wonderful YouTube channel about social security. And a guy was complaining on the fifth video about how much Devin sucks and how bad he is. And Devin finally wrote back. He's like, you know, you've complained on five of my videos. I think that makes you a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another interesting topic. Do you argue with people like that or even respond to them? I've seen people, they used to say, oh, I'm so sorry you didn't like it send it back. I'll give you your money back. Let me give you a call. Let me try to convince you that what I did was actually relevant. Where, where are you with responding to these guys? You know, acknowledging they've been heard, yeah. but not completely derailing what you're doing. We made a decision early on, and this was through fire. We learned this, and I'll explain that in a second, that we don't respond to negative reviews because I did early on on the show, and I found that I got five more negative reviews because the negative Nancys knew I was looking. Rewards bad behavior. Absolutely. So what we started doing was when people leave a five-star review, we would talk about that one on the show. I do get frustrated sometimes though, and I have said this on the show, I'll say there's maybe once a year where I will take a negative review because it really frustrated me that the person, either they didn't understand or I needed to apologize or there was something where I needed to communicate the disconnect between what the review was and where we were going, or maybe they got it right, whatever it is. But when I do that, I also have told my audience in those occasions that I get frustrated because I love like the woman where I gave her the 3000 word answer about <laughs> why we changed the show. Yeah. I like, I like talking about podcasting. I said, listen, if there's something we're doing and it drives you crazy, if if you leave me review, that's fine. You leave me one star review. Apple will not let me answer that. So it's not like Yelp where I can go on and, you know, the manager, sorry, you're disappointed with your meal, you know, email me and we'll give you a certificate. I can't do any of that. I cannot respond to some of these things where I think it warrants a bigger discussion. So I've said to people that if you really want to have a discussion with me that changes the show and you're invested in our show, please email me. Right. You know, if you want to leave me a review, great, but it's going to be far more effective and help the show that you either love or love to hate uh, get better if you send me an email with the same criticism. Agreed. If people really care, and I think that's the reality of reviews, though, people, they don't really care. They just want to feel like they're heard. Yeah. But that means the biggest audience not you who can actually do something about it. Yeah. It's frustrating, but I think that you're right. They have uh, the saying about the man in the arena and that when you're in the arena, you're going to get banged up. And when you plant that flag or say anything on social media, I think that's it. I I'm not worried. People say, are you worried about being canceled? No, no, because I, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I, I don't think I'm doing something that everybody's going to agree with. You know, you just do and you try to learn from it. You try to be the best, best that you can do. And that's all you can do because not everybody's going to love it. Yeah. Amen. Especially with an audience like what you guys have, which is a very large audience. That was Joe Saul Cihai, Stacking Benjamins podcast. He's got the book stacked available now, wherever you buy your books. All of this linked in the episode notes, podcast.bigpodcast.com. Next up for real this time, I'm going into Joe's book deal, six figure book deal. How did he get it? Why did he choose a co-writer? How did he get the agent? How was he on a 40 city tour paid for by somebody else? We dive into those things and more on the next episode. Bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. That will make sure that you do not miss it. As I mentioned previously, I got three buttons. I made it super easy for you. You only need one of these buttons, by the way, and it's an easy choice. 
If you got an iPhone, that's the button for you. Android, got a button for you. If you like RSS, you're a podcaster. You know what RSS is. Most people don't. So what? What is that? New type of phone? No, you know what it is. Got an RSS button for you. Bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. That will make sure that you never miss an episode. If you haven't, by the way, last few episodes, two out of three, in fact, those also have Joe talking about building a big podcast. You're going to love it. Bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Make sure you get all of them. So go there now and I will see you on the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.